Hello and welcome to part one of this December episode of the House of Lords podcast. Yes, we've got lots to share with you this month, so we've decided to split this episode in two. So this week you'll hear from Baroness Grey Thompson about her experience in the House of Lords. You'll also hear from Olivia in the Lords Legislation Office. She's going to explain to us some of the work that goes into helping the House create and scrutinise legislation. Next week, we'll be speaking to Baroness Campbell of Surbiton about her work campaigning for disability rights in the Lords. And we'll also speak to Lord Teverson about the environment and the EU. It's very busy in the House of Lords at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Huge amounts of legislation, new laws relating to Brexit, such as agriculture, trade, um, the United Kingdom Internal Markets Bill. Plus, there's lots of secondary legislation relating to coronavirus and Brexit. So when I first started, I remember that secondary legislation was something that just took me so long to get my head around. Um, So, Matt, what exactly is secondary legislation? Yeah. Basically, secondary legislation comes from primary legislation, which is probably no more helpful in explaining it. But primary legislation are the acts of parliament. Um, So they're the laws of the land. Often the detail that's needed to implement a policy comes in secondary legislation, though. So an act of parliament will provide powers to a government minister to set out later on exactly how something's going to work. Secondary legislation will often come back to parliament to be approved or to be opposed, depending on the nature of the legislation itself. So I suppose instead of having to start the whole parliamentary process again, having to put through a new bill, you can just take the existing law and add in sort of the new bits of information or the new requirements. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the coronavirus secondary legislation, the recent implementation of the tiers, the tier systems obviously changed. So rather than putting primary legislation back before Parliament, which would need to go through both houses and would take many months in usual times. The powers are there in the original Acts of Parliament to allow ministers to do that through secondary legislation. There are two Lords Committees that look at secondary legislation, as well as a joint committee. We have the uh, Secondary Legislation Scrutiny Committee and also the Delegated Powers Committee. You can find out more about the processes for secondary legislation on the Parliament website. You can also find out more information about secondary legislation before the House of Lords by heading to the Lords Library website at lordslibrary.parliament.uk. Here's what Olivia had to say about the work of the Legislation Office. Hello, I'm Olivia. I'm a clerk in the House of Lords Public Bill Office and my specific role is clerk of messages and clerk of private members' bills. Olivia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Could you start by explaining what the Legislation Office is? So the Legislation Office is an office within the House of Lords that deals with, as the name suggests, the legislation that's going through the Lords um, at any one moment in time. And it consists of the Public Bill Office, which I think we're going to focus our conversation on today because that's where I work, but also the uh, Private Bill Office, Delegated Legislation Office um, and Hybrid Bills. So the difference between all those kinds of bills are public bills 
are bills that the government puts forward. They go through parliament and they apply to the population as a whole. Private bills apply to only certain members of the population and similar with hybrid bills. So a good example of a hybrid bill uh, is the HS2 bill that's going through parliament at the moment. So obviously that will affect some parts of the population more than others. So those parts of the population that will be directly affected by that uh, railway line being built through their communities. Um, And then delegated legislation, this is a little bit more complicated, is legislation that's law created by ministers under powers that are given to them in Acts of Parliament. As you said, you work in the Public Bill Office. What sort of work does that involve? What kind of things do you guys have to get involved with? So what we do is we manage and assist the processes relating to the House's consideration of legislation. And what the kind of the bulk of that is, is dealing with um, amendments that members want to make to bills. And so we deal with the kind of processing, drafting and advising uh, on those amendments. So that's when a member wants to make a change to a bill that's going through Parliament. They'll come to us and they'll say, I want this bill to do this instead of that. And we figure out, you know, is that within the scope of the bill? Does that fit within the bill and how that should be drafted? So that's a lot of the work that we do. We also brief members about bill proceedings within the chamber. So particularly the member that is going to be what we call on the Woolsack, so the kind of deputy speaker that's in charge of the proceedings. And we also advise members just generally on parliamentary procedure to do with bills that are going through parliament. It sounds like a really busy office. So what, what's happening at the moment? What's a typical day look like? A typical day, it's quite hard to say because it does vary. Interestingly, what's happening today, so on the day that we're recording, is there a royal assent that's happening within the chamber that we as an office organise. So that's royal assent to the social security and operating of benefits bills and the fisheries bill. So that's where when the bill has been through both houses of parliament, the queen then gives her assent for that bill to become law, to become an act of parliament. We're also dealing with lots and lots of public bills that are going through and hybrid bills. So I've been working on amendments to the HS2 bill, and that's a part of the the high-speed line that's going from West Midlands to Crewe, Uh, medicines and medical devices bill. We've got the UK internal markets bill that's been in the news quite a lot. That's going through as well. And we've also got the covert human intelligence sources criminal conduct bill, which is quite interesting and has been generating a lot of activity amongst members. We also just have things that go on on a day-to-day basis, so briefing members for the next, preparing the briefings for the next day's proceedings, and also kind of longer running, we're working to digitise a lot of the work that we do and update lots of the digital content that we have and that we put on um, the parliamentary website. So there's kind of lots of long-running things, but then also day-to-day things that we do. And do you all have to work on all of the different bills or do you have different members of staff for each one? That's a really good question. And I think this is where we slightly differ from the Commons. So there are about four clerks in the office, although the office is obviously much wider than that, but we all deal with all of the bills. So we have to have a good knowledge and a good working knowledge of all the bills that are going through Parliament. Uh, we'll spend lots of time looking at the scope of each bill, looking at the bills that are going to be introduced in the next few weeks. So yeah, we work on them all. And I guess the idea is that we all get a kind of generalist knowledge of what's going through Parliament and that anyone should be able to advise a member on any bill that's going through Parliament. But uh, I find it really Really interesting because it means that you get to learn about lots of different kinds of bills. Do you ever get confused between the different ones <laughs> and sort of have to remind yourself what each one actually means? Definitely, definitely. More often than I'd like to admit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about digitising your processes and I know that 
you know, you've got bills that are drafted electronically and members of the public can go online and, you know, sort of see all the different information and progress through Parliament. But then you've also got quite those traditional ways of doing things as well. How does how does that work going between sort of the modern and the traditional? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's one of the aspects that's really unique to working in Parliament is that we are working in this, you know, modern office serving a 21st century legislature. But we have this kind of interesting blend of lots of different traditions. So I am clerk of messages, which doesn't actually say that much in terms of the title, but a brief explanation, messages are what happens when a bill is moving between the two different houses. So it's a bicameral legislature. So bills have to pass through both houses to become law. So say, for example, if a bill starts in the Commons, goes through all its different processes in the Commons, the Commons might make a few amendments to it or they might not. It then goes to the Lords and we call that process a message from passing from the Commons to the Lords. And it will go through the Lords. Maybe they'll make a few changes to it and then it goes back to the Commons. And again, that's a message from the Lords to the Commons. And then, you know, you can get into really complicated messages where if the Lords want to make some amendments, then the Commons want to make amendments to those amendments. And then the Lords might want to amend those amendments. And it gets a little bit complicated. But I'm in charge of managing that whole process from the Lords side of things. And one of the really interesting things actually in lockdown is that this all used to be done on paper, in person. We used to have to find a clerk um, who would take this actually physically down to the Commons. But we've changed that now and you just have to do it over email. But something much that's simpler. Stuck, much simpler, much, you know, it's, it's great for me. But um, something that stuck is kind of the endorsement on the bills. So that's a senior clerk who has to write a bit of Norman French on the front of the bill saying, you know, exactly what the message is doing. So the Lords agreed to the amendments put forward by the Commons, but in Norman French. And I actually looked up this and messages, uh, the process has stayed the same for about 200 years until this year when we've had to move it online um, to being done over emails. But it's kind of a relic of the you know very foundings of Parliament way back hundreds and hundreds of years ago that we still have this Norman French. It's a really wonderful blend, I think, of like modern and older traditions. And it doesn't really hinder our work in any way. It's just a really nice link with the past. And I do think every time that I'm processing a bill, how kind of humbling it is to think how many other clerks have done this in previous years and that it's a continuation in that kind of chain that's a link with history. I really like it. You work closely with members on legislation. Do you, do you ever have to tell them they can't do something? And how does that process work when you do? I think the really important thing to remember is that we are public servants who work to advise and help the Lords um, in their task of scrutinising the government and holding them to account. Often members will come to us with an amendment to a bill. And what that really is, is a solution to a problem that they have envisaged with the bill or that they think the bill will engender. And what we can do, the first thing we always do, if there's an amendment that we think maybe isn't quite right, is we'll just go back to the peer and say, what is this member? What is this amendment actually trying to achieve? You know, what is its purpose? And then by working with the peer, we can usually find a way to come up with a different solution that works within the scope of the bill. So it's often that we we don't really ever say to the members, no, absolutely not, you can't do this. It's more taking it a step back and saying, how can we figure out a way to, to get this to work? Because it's worth bearing in mind that 
it's often the members that are the experts on that particular policy or that particular thing that the that the legislation is trying to change. But we're the experts on parliamentary procedure and it's actually working with the members and both coming at it from those two different sides that you can come to a, a good solution that satisfies member and achieve their purposes in a way that maybe is a bit better than the first solution that they'd envisaged. And when we talk about legislation, that encapsulates quite a lot, doesn't it? There's lots of different types um, of legislation. So where does where does it actually all come from? So what's its starting point? Yeah, that's a really good question. Most bills um, are introduced by the government. So that's putting into practice the promises that they've made in their manifesto and that they say at the Queen's speech. So they might say, you know, we're going to change the immigration policy of this country. And then there will be an immigration bill or a bill that puts that into effect that goes through Parliament. That's Parliament's chance to kind of scrutinise that bill before it becomes law. Sometimes bills might or legislation might originate from green papers, which the government will propose kind of several alternative policies and they'll consult on those. And then it usually goes to what's called a white paper, which is an authoritative statement of government policy. Um, Sometimes there's consultation on those. And then it gets introduced by government into parliament. So some bills have had years and years of consultation before they get introduced to Parliament, other bills might not have done. You mentioned there are different kinds of legislations, and one of the uh, types of legislation I'm in charge of running the process of is what we call private members bills. It's a bit confusing because they are public bills, but they're called private members bills. So just take a second to get your head around that because it took me a little while to. Um, And they can be introduced by any member of the Lords. Um, And they go, once they're introduced, they go through the same procedure as government bills. And that's a really good way that members can introduce law. At the start of each session, we hold a ballot which determines the order of introduction. And we help members in our office to draft these bills. So there's lots of different ways that legislation comes into force. We've also got things, as I mentioned before, like delegated legislation, which we staff committees in in the legislation office, committees that scrutinise those kinds of legislation. So that might be a bit of legislation that's provided for in a parent act of parliament, and that can help the government to, or the law to respond to like unforeseen circumstances or particular technicalities. And that really saves the time of the legislature. So rather than having to go through the whole process of getting it through the commons, through the Lords, you can just make changes, small changes to bills. So you've talked about delegated legislation there. I think some of our listeners may perhaps have heard about secondary legislation. Is that the same thing or or what's what's the difference? Yeah, that's the same thing. Delegated legislation, secondary legislation, they're terms for the for the same thing. And really it's a way for the law, the government to respond to things like public health emergencies and to change aspects of the law without having to go through the full parliamentary procedure of getting it through the commons and going through all the different stages in the commons and then going through all the different stages in the lords. So it allows the government to respond quite quickly to to kind of emerging events or emerging trends. And it's really just, as I said, a way of kind of saving the legislature's time. In the last podcast, we spoke to members about how the House of Lords has changed during the coronavirus. How how has your work changed during the pandemic? Yeah, so like everyone else, we've just been getting used to everyone working from home. And I think this has been a particular change for us because we are a member-facing office. So our office is situated within the Palace of Westminster and usually the doors open and members can just walk in 
we can discuss amendments with members and it's really nice having that face-to-face interaction with members and kind of coming to a solution to a problem that that they've seen and working with them. So we've changed to completely uh, remote working, working from home and been adapting to that with everybody else. In terms of how that's actually affected the work that we do, I mentioned before about messages and how that's moved to taking place over email, which has been, you know, great, saved a lot of time. So that's been a one positive thing that's come out of this. But also the briefings that we provide to the House on bill proceedings have become so much more complicated with uh, virtual proceedings. Um, There's a lot more to brief the chair on than would usually be the case. So that takes up a lot more time. And actually, we've actually brought in more staff from different parts of the administration to deal with that increase in workload. I think it's probably also worth noting that this would have been a really, really busy time for us anyway, with lots of legislation going through to do with Brexit. So there's a lot of legislation going through at the moment that's looking to change what the law looks like after we leave the EU. So even if we were working in person, we would have been really, really busy anyway. So kind of working from home has only magnified that and working remotely has only magnified that. But you know, there's definitely been positive changes, welcome changes. It's shown that we can work from home and we can still provide a really good service to members. It's just maybe a case of picking up the phone and ringing a member rather than sitting and having a nice discussion with them about the scope of a bill and the scope of an amendment. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting talking to you. I personally have found out so much that I didn't know. So thank you very much. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great to talk to you um, and hopefully you found it interesting. Next up, you may have heard that it's Disability History Month at the moment. At the House of Lords, we're exploring the work of members with disabilities, plus some of the legislation that has been passed. We spoke to Baroness Grey Thompson about her career, about her work campaigning for disability rights and for getting people active. And we also hear about how the House of Lords fits into all of that. And here's what Baroness Grey Thompson had to say. I'm Tani, Baroness Grey Thompson of Eaglescliff in the county of Durham, and I've been a crossbench peer since March 2010. Baroness Grey Thompson, thank you for joining us. You've had an incredible career so far, having won 28 Paralympic and World Championship medals, uh, breaking 30 world records. You've been a regular face on TV and, and a campaigner. How do you think that being a member of the House of Lords fits into all of that? So for me, it's, it's amazing that I can work in politics and I'm fascinated by politics but not necessarily party politics. And for me, the House of Lords gives me opportunity to be involved, but not to have to sort of tie my political thought to to one party. So always interested in politics. I actually did a politics degree at university while I was training and um, became interested in athletes' rights and how you affect change and travelling around the world sort of opened my eyes to, to lots of different things. So when I retired, it was a huge privilege to have the opportunity to to kind of enter into the process and I sort of came out the other end and, and joined in 2010. So I, I think sport teaches you a lot of skills that are quite transferable. You know, in in sport, you spend a lot of time training for this sort of tiny amount of time competing, you know, at the stuff that's really important. You know, my Paralympic career is 19 and a half minutes on the track from 25 years competing. And politics is a bit the same. You spend a lot of time in meetings, reading huge amounts of briefing sheets and papers. And when you're in the chamber, you've got two minutes 
to take people with you to vote in a certain way. So in, in some ways, there's a lot of similarities between the two. And do you find that sort of now being in that political arena and you know being a member of the House, has that given an extra dimension to your work as a, as a disability rights campaigner? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it gives you a different platform to speak from because you can, you know, obviously speak in the chamber and then, you know, you can, you know, there's all parts groups. There's lots of other things that you can do because of the title and the position that comes with it. it it's an effective way to, to kind of get in touch with people because if you write to somebody on House Law's paper about, I don't know, say somebody who's experienced discrimination in public transport, then, you know, they're, they're probably the companies are more likely to answer. And and so you, you do have this platform. I think you've got to be really conscious how you use it, but it, it does give you a platform to, to do other things and start different conversations. And, and the one thing that I didn't realise until I kind of joined was, I mean, partly the presenteeism that, that is needed to be in the laws, but you can just do loads in corridors or over a cup of tea or... I mean, there's this really weird, so I call it an institution called Long Table, which, you know, you, you can have meals there or you can have afternoon tea. And when I first went there, I was like, I haven't got time to sit and have a cup of tea in the afternoon. You know, I'm grabbing something in the canteen and going. And then someone said to me, no, 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 don't don't underestimate it. I went, oh. And I remember one of the first times I went there and, you know, it's a long table. And the rule is you have to take the next three seats. So you don't choose who you sit next to. So it makes you talk to people that you probably would never, ever talk to. And I remember a fellow peer saying to me, OK, what are you working on at the moment? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to work on some, you know, campaigning for better wheelchairs for disabled children. And they were like, right, so you need to speak to Lord McCall, who did uh, Mrs Thatcher's review wheelchairs. And you need to speak to such and such, who did, you know, basically named every prime minister and everyone who done all the different reviews. And within 10 minutes, I had you know, found contact, the big contact with people that I never would have realised that I needed to speak to. So there's stuff like that, that you can achieve a huge amount where it, it doesn't actually necessarily have to be in the chamber. There's lots of different ways that you can achieve change. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, actually, because we, you know, focus so much on the chamber and, and the red benches. And I think it's quite easy for people to think that that's, you know, where all the action is and forget that there's actually so much more to it than that. And so much that happens, you know, away from the away from the chamber that has such an effect. I mean, what, what's amazing is you might get um, a briefing paper through from it might be not something that you that I work on all the time. You go, oh, that's interesting. And then, you know, an hour later, you bump into somebody who's a world expert in it and you can say, oh, I've got this pen. Can you just explain it? You know, and you know, pe- people are very open and they're willing to talk and they're willing to kind of meet. And, you know, you being able to tap into that expertise, I, I didn't realise it until I went there, how valuable that is. So, you know, I, I say, you know, I talk to a lot of schools and say, you know, when we have a debate on beekeeping, I can't remember, there's six or seven peers who keep bees. So, you know, who and, and so... There are always people around who know something at a very high level about something. So I remember my first day, a, a colleague said to me, it's a bit like school. You're like, really, it's not like the school I went to. But then you go, oh, like you're constantly <laughs> learning, you know, and, and people are really open. If, it, if it's a, their subject they're into, they're really willing to talk to you about it. So, yeah, you do, you do learn loads when you're there. So you became a member back in um, 2010. Did you see yourself having a particular goal that you wanted to achieve over your time as a member? Disability rights and physical activity are, you know, the things that I spend most time working on. It's quite hard to have a specific goal because we're 
ultimately limited by, you know, the government programme, what legislation they want to put in front of us. So, yes, you can put a private member's bill in, but the chance of that happening, you know, are fairly slim. You know, so I think well, you've, you've got to keep your eyes open because the things you're interested in might appear in bits of legislation that you're not expecting. So or there's lots of ways that you can, you know, put an amendment or, you know, talk about something in different legislation. You've got to be quite creative sometimes because, you know, the last time we did a major piece of, you know, welfare reform was 2012. So you, you can't just sit and wait for the government to introduce another welfare reform, but you have to find ways to raise it and bring it up. But you can do that through questions and short debates. And there's lots of, you know, written answers. So there's lots of ways that you can sort of raise the things that you're interested in. But the specific goal is, is, is quite, that's the bit where it's different from sports. Sports easy because you go, I want to do the next Paralympics and I'd really quite like to win a gold medal. In politics, it's harder as a crossbencher to say, right, there's that one thing I want to change. There's probably 50 things I want to change. And I might at some point get a chance to do some of them. So um, and then the other thing, I mean, it was, um, you know, I, I also came in at a time when we were still doing legislation, for the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics. And I remember someone on the outside saying, wow, that must be so exciting. It was like, you know, we're doing Sunday trading regulations and we're doing road closures. And no, it's not. But but and, you know, th- this is one of the things with the expertise is that we were in um, committee on it. And I remember someone talking about road closure. Well, well actually, of the you know the five games I competed at, and I'd been to one of the games working. You know, this is why we need road closures, and this is why we need games lanes. And so it's I never ever thought I would use that bit of my expertise for for legislation. So it, it was quite funny because we were doing welfare reform and um, Paralympic Olympic and Paralympic amendment legislation at the same time, and it was the same junior ministers. So one day I'd be in the chamber being quite challenging to the junior minister and the next day I'd be in committee room being really supportive but that's how the Lords works you know it's um it's not I've never ever found it to be personal I found people to be you know really open about the things that you're trying to do and you just accept people have a different opinion you might not agree with it but but actually that's what makes the place work is that we've all got a lot of very different opinions so Tanny you're a member of the new sport and recreation committee what do you hope will come out of your work on the committee um, it's really exciting because we don't get a huge amount of opportunity on the floor of the chamber to talk about sport and recreation it might be in the shorts but it's not often in sort of big bits of legislation so I'm hoping that we have a chance to have a a, a new or a different way of looking at you know, what sport is, how it's provided, how we get young people involved. I mean, the physical activity side is is massively important because we have, you know, but before COVID, we were sort of entering the health crisis anyway, in terms of, you know, how much physical activity people do. 80% of women aren't fit enough to be healthy. You know, if you look at a class of children today, the five fittest in the class today, 30 years ago, would have been the five least fittest and and I think what we can do with the select committee, I mean, it's great being able to bring in lots of different people and explore different views and different opinions and gather all that information. But but also, you know, sport is quite complicated because you've got your different governing bodies. You've got devolution, which affects different things. It, it's not, you know, I remember um, talking to a friend uh, from abroad who was thinking of applying for a job in the UK. And I went, right, OK, and I'll explain you how sport works. And I got to six bits of paper and she's like, right, is that I'm like, no, no, that's England. Right. I'll get onto Wales next. So, you know, everybody, you're kind of quite guilty if you kind of work in silos, you know, you, you each sort of different bodies doing its own thing. 
And I think what I'd like to be able to do is, is look at how we can make just connections across that. And it might be there's not not a better way or a different way of doing it, but it's it's very exciting to be able to kind of talk about something that I'm I'm really passionate about. And and that's what you know, select committees have a great ability to sort of delve into these things. You mentioned there the impact of COVID on physical activity in the UK. What more do you think could be done? It, it's challenging because, you know, in the first lockdown, we know that uh, physical activity dropped by about 70%. And that's even with lots of people out walking and on their bikes that you could see they've never used before. I, I'm not sure where I live. People thought I was slightly mad because I'd see all these people on bikes and I'd start shouting across the road for them to fix their seat height. And, and actually, Chris Hoy's got a really good video online that tells you the right seat height. So because actually, it's, if you don't enjoy it, if you don't have a positive experience, you're not going to come back and do it again. So th- there were lots of challenges in the first lockdown. And, you know, where we are now with the, the second lockdown, it's winter. It's not so nice to be outside. So it's finding creative ways for people to be active. And I think it's one of those things that is really hard is people know we're meant to be active, you know, we, but it's what to do is and, and it's got to be something to connect to you on an individual basis so telling someone to go for a walk who doesn't like walking is not going to get them to do it so unfortunately it's one of those things that you have to try lots and lots of different things to find the thing that that connects for you and there's got to be that personal motivation there as well it's sort of the thing that people tend to put off until they have to make a sort of a big change to their lives so yeah there's there's lots of challenges but again you know with the committee i think there's there's an opportunity to look. So it's called sport and recreate. That kind of covers like everything in the whole sector. You know, sport's a tiny bit of it. And, and elite and competitive sport's an even smaller bit of it. But it's physical activity, physical literacy. It's 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 a huge area to, to cover. And I think we, what I'm personally I'd like to do is, is find a way that we can encourage people to think more, take more personal responsibility to think about how fit and active they are in their own lives. Because actually... You know, this is about saving money for the NHS. It's about having a long, healthy life. People are hitting frailty in their 50s these days. And you don't have to hit frailty till your 90s. And, and activity is one of the things that, that sorts that. So, you know, we, we've got to find that personal motivation for people. And turning back to your personal experiences in the House, um, do you think the House of Lords itself enables people with disabilities to operate effectively and to fulfil their duties? And uh, what more needs to be done? I do, because... I think on different levels, it's an amazing institution. It is still slightly bonkers at times, but you you kind of embrace it. So I think having a, a cross bench route through, I think is is really helpful for a lot of people like me whose views change depending on what the issue is. But I think also if you look at how hard it is for disabled people to get into elected office in terms of campaigning and being on the it's really difficult to do, you know, and, and you look at this across the world, it's a real challenge for disabled people to become elected. So I think that, you know, there's lots of people and I think there's lots of challenges as for us as an institution in terms of what the Lords might look like in the next five, 10, 15 plus years. But but I think it, it does give disabled people and people with very specialist areas of interest the opportunity to to contribute in a way that you wouldn't if if you were elected. So I, I think, you know, actually, if you look at the building, I can get to every single part of the building. I think it's quite different being a pass holder to being a guest in the building. As a pass holder, I can get everywhere. I'm, but, you know, you just need to know sort of the, the different back routes to get places. So as a building, I find it, you know, pretty good. That's not because that's I get asked that a lot. You know, it's a really old building, isn't it? Really difficult. 
And the other thing is, you know, the the staff and the team who work there do an awful lot to make sure it's, 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 it's as accessible as it can possibly be for something that is a really old listed and quite complicated building. So I, I do think it it does enable disabled people to contribute in a really positive way. And finally, one of my favourite questions to ask people, are there any particularly memorable moments that, that spring to mind of your time being a member? How many can I have? Um, <laughs> We've got all day. <laughs> OK, so 2011, we were doing a lot of late night votes and it was about two o'clock in the morning. And it's it's pretty hard. I mean, it's not. It, it sometimes sort of feels like you're never going to get out to the building and sort of the level of concentration and things you need in terms of voting and voting the right way and, you know, being respectful for the people speaking. You know, sometimes the hours are pretty tough. Um, but I was having a cup of tea with Baroness Trumpinson, who is such a character and amazing. And she she said to me, um, just as I took a mouthful of tea, she said, this is a bit like the Second World War. And, you know, this is very interesting. You can't say, I really don't think it is. And you go, oh, oh, what relentless. And she said, yes. And as I took a mouthful of tea, she sort of whispered to me, but with a lot less sex. (laughs) And I remember um, spitting my tea back into my cup and and just looking at her. And she just had this really like, and she used to just be really cheeky and just, and, and and she knew exactly what she was doing. She was so funny with things. And, and she went, oh, I knew that would get you. You were looking a little bit serious there. And so there was that one. And I remember that always just makes me smile that there's, you know, that, that she did that. And then, oh, there was another one. I've been in a debate with Lord Joffe and we had different views on, on, on this particular subject that we were debating. And I came out and at the time there was a lot of debate around reforming the House of Lords and all things. And I walked through Central Lobby and a member of the public came up and been they'd been listening in the gallery and said, Oh, you know, the House of Lords is just full of like all these like really old people who don't know what they're talking about and should get rid of them. It's just bleh. so it's like, oh, okay, right, and you know, try and have a bit of a chat. And this person said, Oh, and that that man that you know you were having a debate with, who who's he? What's he ever done? And said, oh, you know, Lord Joffrey, human rights. Like, well, human, oh, human rights, well, that's all rubbish. And what, what's he ever done with his life? You know, Lord Joffrey's the chap that pretty much single-handedly got Nelson Mandela off the death penalty. <laughs> and he went, oh. So not um, much then. <laughs> right, well, he can stay. And he go, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of those moments that it was just like, it was just, per- you know, it was just this perfect... And and then I sort of spent about 10 minutes talking to the chat and, and saying, you know, actually, look at the people in the chamber, look look at their background, look at what they talk on. You know, there's there's this image from the outside. And, and that's not that's not my working life experience of, of the place. Um, and then the final I did this nice. My my very first amendment in the welfare reform bill. And it's it's fairly terrifying, like the first, you know. The first time you speak and the first time you know, the first time you do things, it's bit and this was kind of my first amendment, which I was going to vote on. And I had a government peer rewrite it to make it stronger. And when I looked at it, like, really? But I was like, oh no, you must be, you know, taking a mic. And it was like, oh, no, actually, that's a better version of what I was trying to say. And I looked at him and I, I remember saying to him, well, why? And he went, Well, I'm just going to help you with your first first time. I'm just going to help you. If you vote, I'm not voting with you. But, but, and I looked and I, yeah, sorry, I I still get a bit lost for words with it because it was like really kind and helpful 
and it gave me a better sense of what I was trying to do. And you just go, oh, I, and so that's the bit that I find amazing about the place is that, you know, people will just be really open with you. If, if they're not going to vote with you, they'll tell you and they'll tell you why and explain why. And so actually you can learn and you can become better at what you do because of that openness. So, yeah, there's like, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's an amazing part. I love it. The thing I always think is just when you think you know the rules and you think you know what you're doing, something will pop up in the enunciator and you go, right, I didn't know what that was, you know. And but but that's why you've always got to learn. You can never be complacent about the place. You always have to learn and look forward and you always have to sort of try and be the best that you can be there. Tani, thank you so much for joining us. It was just lovely chatting to you. It's really interesting. Some really funny stories as well. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. And that's it for part one of our December podcast. Thank you to Olivia and to Baroness Grey Thompson for joining us this week. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for part two, where we'll be speaking to Baroness Campbell of Thurbison about her lifelong campaigning for disability rights. We're also here from Lord Teverson, who will be talking about some of the issues in front of the EU Environment Committee, which he chairs. If you enjoyed listening, please don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from. And if there's something you'd love us to explore, you can tell us by tweeting at UK House of Lords and including the hashtag HLCast. Hold up. 